As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes and Sean McAdoo with you ahead on this show. We'll take a look at the two conference finals that are all squared up in a game apiece, and we'll discuss whether or not the Montreal Canadiens can avenge those critics of the North Division who are complaining uh, things were pretty weak in Canada as the Habs are hanging tough with the Golden Knights. And speaking of the Golden Knights, uh, Jesse Granger, who covers the Vegas Golden Knights, he'll be back for some Granger things. We'll get him... Uh, to talk about some betting lines, maybe, uh, with the Final Four. We've got some penalty controversies to address as well from that Islanders-Tampa Bay series and whether or not it's time for some video review. And this week in hockey history looks back at arguably the best top five draft in NHL history, as well as the time the New York Rangers gave up a first-round pick to get the head coach of the Quebec Nordiques. But as we uh, uh, kick off this show, Sean, the, the thing I got to ask you, is I can't help but think all I could think about. I had trouble sleeping last night because of Jeff Petrie's eyes. <laughs> and I'll tell you, there's been a lot of people I'm sure who have had the red eyes in Vegas. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a thing, right? What I don't know that I've ever seen a player in any sport and, and, and like, and you would know, cause I mean, you're a fan of, of virtually all the sports. Like, have you ever seen a player with something as visually distracting as like those eyes from Jeff Petrie? On Wednesday night. You know what? And not too many. I guess the closest maybe you would get is every now and then in some sports. You see it in basketball. Sometimes someone will get a nose broken and they, they, they go out there and they've got the, the, the two black eyes uh, as, they're, as they're healing up. Other than that, uh, I mean, it's, it's hockey, right? We're used to seeing scars, black eyes, missing teeth. I mean, that's, that's just part of the deal. Uh, that was a different level. And you know what? I got to say, I understand why 
in the NHL, teams don't like to disclose injuries. They don't like to disclose information about health. We got the upper body, the lower body, all of this stuff, all this sleight of hand that goes on. But the Montreal Canadiens needed to warn us about that before the game. <laughs> they, you, you can't. I'm not saying you need to tell us specifically, but you just need to say, okay, you know what, guys? Jeff Petrie is in the lineup tonight. He's coming back from the injury. Um, he's going to look weird, and you need to mentally prepare yourself for this. <laughs> And give us some sort of explanation because, I mean, I, I was like, I'm sure millions of fans out there. I sat down to watch that game. Here we go. This is going to be a good one. Big game in the series. And I saw that one shot and I was like, well, I can't think of anything else. Now. Right. And, and that's uh, – and Petrie's wife was on Instagram and said, hey, look, he looks a lot better than he did a week ago. And this is related to his upper body injury. And I'm like, wait, what? I thought yeah. he got his fingers stuck in a camera hole. Yeah. How does that make your eyes go red, right? Exactly. I and I don't know that that's the thing. So either we've we've maybe been misdirected here on what the injury was, or I mean, I have I have seen people say that maybe he was he was on some sort of medication or antibiotics or something for uh, because of the finger injury, and and maybe that led to it. I don't know. I'm I'm no doctor, and uh, you know, uh, again. Everybody's hurt in the playoffs, but you're you're not supposed to look like a cartoon character. That's uh, that's the thing. And you know what? Full credit, Jeff. Peter, he he had a good game last night, um, but it was kind of disappointing that he didn't like score the overtime winner or something. Because I mean, boy, you talk about an iconic. That that's the only thing that could have knocked Bobby Orr off the list of iconic photos is having a guy who looks like a vampire scoring an overtime winning goal. That that uh, that was maybe our one chance. You say that uh, Jeff Petrie kind of looks like a cartoon character. I thought that that uh, title went to Mark Bergevin with the suits. Like this yeah. guy, it's like he raided the closet of the Dick Tracy, uh, you know, the the cast of Dick Tracy. Yeah. And so la- uh, Wednesday night he wears the like, kind of, I wouldn't say lime green, but it's a green suit. Okay. And the only, and, and what's weird is that I actually have a, uh, a previous – connection to somebody wearing a green suit and the Montreal Canadiens. And that is, uh, Sean, when the Habs won the Stanley Cup in 1993, okay, Denny Savard was a uh, injured player, couldn't play, but he came out to accept the cup and he was wearing a like a green suit because in the early 90s, there was like this little window where guys were in like kind of forest dark green suits. And that's the only other time I can think of anybody with the Habs wearing a green suit until... Wednesday night when Mark Bergevin showed off his green suit in the press box. It, who, okay, who wore it better? Mark <laughs> Bergevin or those two Canucks fans sitting oh, the by the man. penalty box? Because it's, yeah. it's I, you know what? It's working for him, but you're right. Like any, any GM would look odd, but Mark Bergevin out of anyone, this guy is, you're right. It's, it's a Dick Tracy henchman look is what's going on. Yeah. This is some supervillain stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Hey, you know what? You make the moves he made and you get your team into the, uh, into the third round. I guess he can dress however you want, but he's really testing that theory. Well, yeah. And, you know, and, and I think when you talk about the moves he made, man, Tyler Toffoli, you see the, 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 the run that he's on, he scores again in, in Wednesday's game. And I got to tell you, as you look back, there, there's been some swings and misses, on free agents over the years. And and I, I always think, like, to me, obviously, Artemi Panarin's the one free agent I look at in the last few years. I'm like, yeah, man, that worked out, right? But usually it goes the Bobrovsky way, where, like, somebody overpays and you're like, wow, that's a mistake. I got to tell you, 
This Tyler Toffoli deal is looking like maybe the best free agent signing. Like, can you think of another? Maybe we'll just stick to the Canadian division for a second here. Of a Canadian of the seven of the Canadian teams, has there ever been a better free agent signing for a Canadian team than Tyler Toffoli? I mean, it's up there. When when you pose that question to me in the in the pre-show, I was sort of like, oh, I don't I don't know, best in the last decade. And I started running through it in my mind. And you're right, but there's there's a lot more misses than hits. You know, you Milan Lucic didn't work out. Uh, the the Tyler Myers, eh, you know, okay in Vancouver, but uh, you know, not not necessarily something you'd consider a great value deal. Uh, I'm I'm sort of going down the list in my head. Like Ottawa doesn't really go in on free agents. Winnipeg rarely does. Uh, Edmonton, the big one was was Lucic. I I think um, you could you could maybe point some other guys. Mike Smith kind of worked out in on to some extent, but not a lot of success there. Calgary, the big one's probably Markstrom. We don't really know enough about that. It, it, first year was not great, but still still time on that. Um, you look at the make-believes. Obviously, the, the biggest free agent in Canada in the last 10 years was John Tavares. He's been good. He's, he's, he's been a productive player. But if you're looking at value on a contract, uh, I don't think I don't think you put him all that high on the list. It might be Tyler Toffoli, at least until you get down to the guys who sign real cheap deals and then provide great value for that. You know, the, the Jason Spetzes or the, the guys who are maybe even lesser names who develop into something. There's always a few guys like that. But in terms of guys who got relatively big dollar deal, I mean, Tyler Toffoli didn't, didn't get, get a ton of money. It's not a huge cap hit, but I think he was at one point, at least the, wasn't he the the biggest number for any forward in that that weird free agent class last year? Uh, it's been a huge success, and and boy, I've, they got to be just kicking themselves in Vancouver for how that all played out. To especially watch. I mean, they were during the season when he kept lighting up the Canucks every time he played them, but um, it, to to watch it continue now, it's been a real good signing. I mean, you know, Mark Bergevin, full credit. He he kind of waited, saw some value emerge, jumped on it, and it's paid off. Yeah, and he's just been dynamite in in the playoffs. And you think to yourself, like, you know, Josh Anderson has really struggled for them. And if, if they if they could ever get that guy going, you never know. And I think what's interesting though is a lot of us thought after game one, ah, here we go. The North Division has come out to play with the rest of the the class, and they're realizing that they're like two or three grades below uh, everybody else in 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 gym class. And then game two happens, and you're like, well, maybe maybe they can hang tough. So I guess here's the question. Yeah, Sean, if the Habs can hang with Vegas, obviously if they beat them, we're having a different conversation. And by hang, I mean if they can get this to six or seven games. This ends up changing the narrative around the North Division. Like are the Montreal Canadiens representing the North Division here and saying, hey, you know what? For all of you that ragged on the North and said this was weak and they were going to get dummied, is there something to be said for the Habs pushing Vegas here? It, it, look, there there would be. I, I'm going to say I don't think it does change the narrative, and here's why I don't think it does. I don't think that narrative was ever coming from a place of good faith. Uh, and, and when I say the narrative, I'm talking about this idea that the North was some junk division. I understand if you want to say, hey, look, out of the four divisions, you could make a case that the North was the weakest of the divisions. Okay, that's that's one thing. But this thing that I kept hearing – 
even during the first two rounds of the playoffs, just you wait. Just you wait till whoever comes out of the North gets into the third round and they're going to get smoked. It's going to be a sweep. It's not even the same level of hockey. Uh, I don't think this ever really came from a place where where people were actually rationally looking at the quality of play and the quality of the teams and coming to that conclusion. I, I think it came from, honestly, from two places because there were two things going on in the North this year that a lot of hockey fans really don't like. Number one was the Toronto Maple Leafs were having success and people love to find reasons in the rare cases when that happens. They love to find reasons to, to point to that and say, here's why it doesn't count. Um, and the Leafs had one of, if not their best regular seasons ever. And a lot of people were looking for a reason to say, hey, we, we shouldn't pay any attention to that. And the other thing that was going on was Connor McDavid having one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen in the modern era. And for some reason, a lot of hockey fans really like to diminish individual accomplishments like that. And they like to look for a reason to say, here's why, no, no, we, we can't be talking about him in the same breath as Mario or whoever else. Here's why. It's because he's just scoring on a bunch of AHL teams. Like, division is terrible. On down the list. I never bought into it. Uh, I never thought it was fair. I never thought anyone making that argument sounded uh, particularly uh, wise. And, yeah, you're, you're. I mean, we've already seen it. We're two games in. Montreal has split the series, but or split the first two games. Montreal's hanging with Vegas. Montreal's not looking like some outmatched team from, from a minor league. Uh, they, they absolutely deserve to be there and they, uh, they're going to give them a tough series and they might win the series. So this idea that, you know, it, it should have been put to bed already long ago. And if it hasn't been yet, then I'm not sure this is, this is now becoming one of those things where I'm not sure actual evidence playing out right in front of people's faces will change their opinions because they've already dug in on this. Yeah, and you know, that series tied up at one, the other series, Lightning and Islanders tied up at one. And, you know, I, I want to talk about that series for a bit. A couple of storylines there. In game two of that series, uh, Tampa Bay with too many men on the ice certainly drew a lot of people's attention, right? Like, and it, and it was clear too many men on the ice. It wasn't like one of those, ah, for a split second, they had, they had six skaters. This was like, uh, here come the cap jokes because the Lightning were able to play, uh, kind of play with the rules all season long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a legitimate question to ask. If you can see that as plain as day, should that be up for video review? Like, should right away, should there be some sort of uh, ability or mechanism in place that the situation room or somebody says, hey, hang on here. They had six skaters on the ice for that goal. We got to call, not only do we have to call that goal off, we got to give them a too many men on the ice penalty. Like, should we be doing that? Or is that just going to, again, slow down the game? No, we should not be doing it. And, and the reason we shouldn't is because hopefully we have learned from the offside review debacle uh, where we thought that we were putting a rule in place to catch the big obvious mistakes. We thought we were putting something in there to catch Matt Duchesne being five feet offside. And instead, we've had a whole bunch, hundreds of ticky-tack, nitpicky reviews where the guys skate being a quarter of an inch in the wrong spot, taking good goals off the board. In a lot of cases, stuff that had nothing to do with how the goal was actually scored. It's been an awful rule um, and, and also hasn't really caught the next Matt Duchesne because it turns out those plays are, are relatively rare. I get the frustration. I would be furious if I was an Islanders fan and I saw something like that. But 
we can't keep overreacting to every bad call by saying, let's put in replay, let's put in replay. Uh, because as, as we've seen with offside, as we've seen with goaltender interference, uh, a lot of this stuff just doesn't work well in replay. And this wouldn't either. And I know a lot of people even look at too many men and they say, well, the difference between this and goaltender interference, for example, is too many men is objective. It's black and white. You're allowed five skaters. If you can count to six, that's too many men. And here's the problem. The way the rule is written now, I think a lot of people don't understand this. It's it's actually not black and white the way that people think. There's two scenarios that basically are covered in the too many men rule. The first is if a guy jumps on early and either he or the guy he's replacing get involved in the play, which usually means touching the puck. Uh, that's an automatic penalty by the rule book. Rules, rules are very clear there. In a case like that, a guy touches the puck or he tries to make a defensive play, throws a body check, anything like that. That's an automatic penalty. When it's a situation like we saw on Tuesday where the guy doesn't actually get directly involved in the play, suddenly the rule book starts getting a lot of leeway in it. And you start seeing words like may and might and at the official's discretion. It's not actually a clear call. Now, the way that that play is normally called that we're used to seeing, that's a penalty. And that's I'm, I'm not arguing that there, there's any defense for what we saw on Tuesday that was a penalty based on how it's typically called. But by a strict reading of the rule book, which is what you have to go by as soon as you start bringing replay review into it, it just turns into a, into a bit of a nightmare. And the, the only way to go, if you really wanted to do replay review for too many men, is at this point, you, you got to put a little line on the ice five feet from the bench because that's what the rule is. It's five feet is, is that, that uh, in-between zone that they're allowed and now we're right back to offside. We just got a different line on the ice where after a goal, we're looking to see if somebody's skate was here or there. And, and look, if you like offside review and you think it's been great and you really enjoyed all these hundreds of goals that have come off the board in the last five years, then sure, go, go ahead and do the sequel. Otherwise, this is one of those things where we have to say, you know what, it's sports. Bad calls happen. Missed calls happen. You hope they even out. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But we can't overreact to everything by saying, let's have more and more review when most of us don't even like the review we already have. Yeah. And I think where you make a really good point is if there was a uh, like a rash of these happening, let's say in these this year's Stanley Cup playoffs, there was eight or nine goals that were scored with too many skaters on the ice. Well, then, yeah, we, we need to have that conversation. But it's like the Duchesne thing. And then I think there was one other one, right? Tampa and the Habs. Tampa and Montreal, in 20, there was one in overtime in 2015. Yeah. And even that one wasn't super clear, but it wasn't, you know, it was it, it was a foot and not an inch. Yeah, and but but we, we created, and again, it's the unintended consequences, but we addressed a problem that really didn't exist. It was really an aberration that we looked at. And I think what happened in game two of Lightning and uh, the Islanders is an aberration. We don't have this rash of too many men on the ice, like we got to fix the problem. Like if we start seeing something uh, happen over and over again, and again, that's where to me puck over glass, it's worth a conversation because we are seeing that enough where at least there's a conversation to be had where I would be an advocate of video review. And you tell me if you agree or disagree. Anytime the officials on the ice give a five minute major and a game misconduct, I believe that that warrants video review because you're you're judging something so quickly. It's a hit from behind. It's a high hit. It's something that's done so fast that 
it, and it can have such a sway on a game. You're giving a team a five-minute power play. You're taking away a skater from, from one team. I think that that moment in the game is as consequential as a goal and therefore requires uh, as much accuracy as possible. That's what I would love to see. If there's a five-minute major that you're ready to call, make sure you get it right. That's yeah, all. And, and, and that is, you know, that, that's what we've got now. And I was hesitant even on that when they, when they brought that in in the wake of the, the Sharp Golden Knights uh, Pavelski scenario. Uh, and, and I'll acknowledge it's, it's been better than I thought. Uh, I was concerned that we would see, a, as an unintended side effect, we would see a lot more majors being called because the refs would know, hey, if I if I call five, I get to have another look at it. We haven't really seen that. Uh, yeah. So I don't mind that one uh, too much. It's, but even then, you know, again, this is, whenever somebody starts talking about replay, they always say, we just have to get it right. And my question is always, okay, if we put replay in for this, are we actually going to feel like we're getting it right? Most of the time, we don't. We, it certainly hasn't happened in goaltender interference. We just argue even more about that rule now. I would argue it hasn't really happened with offside. We're still having plays where you're sitting there going, I, is he offside? I don't really see it that way. Um, when you look at the penalties, right, we saw it in the uh, in the Islanders-Bruins uh this series, what was the, the the play where who was it that uh, Barzell was cross checking and then he turned around uh, and gave him a little uh, D- uh, Dave Krejci, right? Yeah, it was Krejci, right? He turns around, he gives him the little pitchfork play. The initial call is five minutes for spearing. They go have a look at it and they change it yeah. to two minutes for slashing. Now, did anybody watching that go, "Oh, I'm glad they got it right," or did people just go, "Oh, wait, I'm not even sure that that revised call was any better than the first one"? Those are the sorts of things that can that can happen. Now, when it comes, I'm not completely against replay. When it comes to was the puck over the line or not, had time expired, I think those are absolutely places where you should have replay. And generally speaking, with maybe the very occasional outlier, we do all agree on that, right? I mean, you're watching, you go, oh, was that puck over the line? Finally, you see that one view, you go, yes, okay, it was over the line. We all agree. We're glad they got it right. As soon as you get into anything subjective, like goalie interference, uh, and like most of the penalties in the rule book, that gets very dicey. And, you know, the, the, the one thing I'll say is if you can get it right, yes. And, and sure, if there's a five minute major for a high stick and it wasn't even that guy's stick, it would be great to have a way to catch that. Um, but as soon as you start doing review and you tell your fans, we're doing this to just get it right, your fans are going to do this weird thing where they take you at your word and expect you to actually get it right. And if your reviews don't make you them feel like you are getting it right, then not only have you not improved the situation, you've made it far worse because now you're making everyone stand around for five minutes looking at freeze frames and they're not any happier with the outcome at the end of it. Yeah, but I, I'm always a believer like they, I like this. So I like the the video review on the, on the major penalties because I think that that's an example of they, I think they're getting it right. Like, and that's why, that's why I want to talk about this one too, that goalie interference call and it was Braden Point, right, who got cross-checked yep. into Varlamov? Yep. Like, that that shouldn't be goalie interference, correct? No, I mean, that's uh, that 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 was a bad penalty. He was cross-checked. He was going at high speed. There's, uh, y- you know, we've we've been over some of the, the interference stuff. And, yeah, if you're knocked into the goalie, you still have to make an effort to avoid and, and all of this other stuff. But there was nothing he could have done. At the, the speed he was moving, that was a blown call. Uh, flat out and it's and it's the most frustrating type of blow and call because it's one where 
it, the officials are kind of seeing something that isn't there as opposed to to missing it. Um, so I get the frustration on that, but would you want to see that open a replay or are you advocating for that? Or? I, I, again, it's, it's a tough one. Like you said, though, you, you open up a Pandora's box and now you're like, where do you, and you've talked about this before. Like, do you, do you, do you go to every, look, do you nitpick every face off and say, ah, the guy. Every face off, stable, every like, line change, every, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche, right? But there's a penalty on every single shift in the NHL by the strict letter of the rule book, if you want to yeah. find it. So, you know, and look, I get that you look at that Braden Point play and you go, this one's obvious. There's no, even even the most diehard uh, Islander fan is looking at that going, we got away with one there. So, yeah, I mean, should that be replay? Uh, who could argue with that? Okay, but if we're going to re- review that, what do we do with the play that's a little bit tougher than that one? And then what do we do with the play that's a little bit yeah. tougher than that? And I know people go, oh, slippery slopes. Well, some slopes are actually slippery. You know, we, we, I wish we had seen the slippery slope coming when we brought in offside review. We didn't, or at least I didn't. I'm sure some people out there didn't. We didn't listen to them. Um, here's what I would like. Rather than putting in review that's just going to open up a can of worms and create all sorts of unforeseen circumstances in a league that hasn't shown that it can do replay review right. I don't want to do replay review for penalties. Here's what I would like to see on a play like that Braden Point situation. And it's something that you see a lot in the NFL, right? You and I are both NFL fans. How many times do you see a flag comes out, the officials huddle up, yeah. and then they pick up the flag, right? And the, and, the, and the official will get on the microphone and say, there's no foul on the play. And sometimes they'll even explain what the foul would have been and why they're not calling it. That concept doesn't really exist in the NHL. You see it every once in a great while. But generally speaking, in the NHL, once a hand goes up, it's a penalty. It's, and, and, it's, and there's it's maybe a discussion of what the penalty is or how it works out. But once the referee's arm goes up, it's a penalty. I would like to see the ability on a play like that Braden Point play where you know, maybe the official who called that just didn't see the cross check. Maybe, you know, sometimes you're at a weird angle. This stuff happens really, really fast. Officials are human. Maybe they don't see it. That's the time where the other three guys come over and go, hey, actually, he got cross checked into him. This this can't be a penalty. Maybe it should be a penalty on the Islanders, but even if we're not going to call that, we can't give this guy a penalty. Get together, huddle up, get it right, and then just announce it. We, you know, after discussion, we decided there's no penalty for goalie interference on the play. Yes, it would be frustrating sometimes, especially, you know, when it's your team and you think you're getting a power play and then you're not. You're going to be mad about that because you're a fan. But I think generally speaking, you could get most of the obvious stuff that way. And I don't think it would be that frustrating for fans. I think we understand that it's a hard job. Mistakes happen. Huddle up. Get it right. You don't have to stand around squinting at an iPad for five minutes. Just sit there. What what did you see? What did you see? Okay, I got it wrong. Uh, we're not going to call it a penalty, put the face off outside the zone and let's keep playing hockey. I still think I would be an advocate too of take one official off the ice and have an eye in the sky official, you know, yeah. give them a different, different vantage point and an ability to, to, to see some things in real time. But then that what does that be- look like? How does that guy call a penalty? How does, You know, that's the thing, because I've heard a couple of versions of this and they're very rarely get into the details of how it would work. And maybe there's a way, maybe somebody It's just a guy. It's a guy in the sky. It's just a guy in the sky. He's hanging Mission Impossible style over the ice, spinning around. No, I mean- SJ SJ Sharky? Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. You know, I've I've heard people say, you know, 
have a guy up there and he's got a headset and he's talking to the official on the, uh, man, I don't know. I'm sure you've done it. I don't know if people out there have ever done like TV or something where you've got an earpiece in and somebody's talking to you. It's impossible to concentrate. So I'm, I don't want the referee having a guy yammering in his ear going, Oh, look over there. What about there? No, not my left, not your left. And it's, that would be a mess. Could you do it during breaks? Yeah, maybe you could. Uh, and, And again, there's always, there's a saying in, in, the legal world that says like hard cases make bad laws. And in the NHL, I think it's the opposite. I think in the NHL easy cases make bad rules because you see the easy one, you go, well, let's put a rule in for that. And then it's all the other stuff that isn't easy that, that blows up. I don't know. I I'm just, as a fan, I get mad at the refs all the time. I see them blow calls. That's part of the fan experience. But I don't know if I want a situation where every time there's a whistle, I then have to sit there and go, well, I guess we're going to find out if there's any penalties on that shift. I guess we're going to find out, you know, this and that. This this is part of the problem with all the reviews we have now. Even when a goal gets scored, a lot of fans are being trained to go, okay, that's, I, I think I'm excited, but let's hold on. Let's, let's wait a, a minute and see if this one actually counts. Same thing with penalties, you know, again, yeah, I would love to get the obvious ones. But here's the thing, the really obvious ones. The ones that everyone thinks is obvious, not just you because it was your team and you're a fan and you think that they've never committed a penalty, but the, the really obvious missed calls are pretty rare. At some point, you know what, man? It's sports. Calls are going to get missed. It's just part of it. And we can't grind the game to a halt and start looking at replays every time it happens uh, because it's going to happen all the time and people still are going to complain about the results anyways. So at some point, you just got to say, let's... Let's just play on. If we can come up with a system that only ever catches the obvious ones, sure. But now we're going to argue about what's obvious and what's not. And here we go again. You, you know, I, I want to stick with that Islanders uh, Tampa Series 2 for a second, Sean, and ask you about uh, Nikita Kucherov's leading the league in, in playoff scoring. And I think if you were to vote for a Conn Smythe winner now as playoff MVP, I think Kuch would certainly be in the conversation. And, and I'm wondering... Do you think that because he missed the regular season and there was a little bit of a controversy around him, that voters might be a little reluctant to vote Nikita Kucherov as playoff MVP? Or does that not enter the the mind of the voter here? Because there there is. There's a little bit of controversy around Kucherov in these playoffs. I, I think there's there's more than a little bit based on some of the fan reactions I see out there. I don't know how much that permeates into the the people that are gonna vote on Con Smythe. Uh, look, Conn Smythe is a weird award. Uh, you know, I, I think most people know by now that the things like the Hart Trophy and the Norris, they're voted on by the, the Hockey Writers Association, and it's it's usually a few hundred. This year, they've they've narrowed it down to a hundred for the voting. Uh, Conn Smythe isn't like that. Conn Smythe is the media, but it's it's a small group. It's like a couple of dozen, and it's uh, uh, for that reason. It's and it's a lot of guys that are hanging out together on the road. They're working together. So a lot of this stuff people have been talking about as the playoffs go on. And so sometimes there's, there's kind of a consensus forming already uh, when, when you get towards that, uh, that end of the final. Uh, So it's always a bit of a hard one to project unless you've actually been sitting there and listening to the discussions happen. Um, Nikita Kucherov, I I think the problem with him is, is going to be the whole salary cap, controversy. The fact that he missed the season won't be an issue. I mean, Ken Dryden won the Conn Smythe when he had barely played in a season. And, and in a normal year, a guy being hurt all year long and coming back for the playoffs and having a great playoffs 
would be a great story. That's that, that that sort of stuff is catnip to the media folks who usually vote on this stuff. They would they would love that. Um, but the question is going to be, well, how hurt was he, and should he have been playing, and is this a thing? Uh, I, look, I've I've said it a dozen times. I think at this point in in various places, if you're mad about Nikita, Nikita Kucherov, be mad at the NHL. Don't be mad at him. Don't be mad at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They followed the rules that are in place. And have been in place for years. We saw this with Patrick Kane years ago. Uh, we all know how it works by this point. Um, the, the Lightning followed the rules. And the NHL at any point could have said, no, you're not following the rules and here's what you have to do differently. And they never did. So I've got zero issue with the Lightning. I've got zero issue with Nikita Kucherov. And I don't think anyone who's voting on Con Smythe should have an issue with it. If you're mad about it, be mad at the NHL and be mad that they haven't fixed what seems like an obvious loophole. Um in the many years that they've had to fix it. Don't be mad at the team that just followed the rules that are in the rulebook. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean, as always, time to uh, bring back our pal Jesse Granger for a little Granger Things presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner uh, with The Athletic. And uh, Jesse, uh, first of all, thanks for doing this. I know it's an early morning uh, for you, uh, fresh off a game two that went uh, kind of deep into the night uh, on Wednesday. So listen, what what is that atmosphere like? Because guys like Sean and I are watching these games on, on television. And it looks like an electric atmosphere. It looks unbelievable. And when the when the Golden Knights cut that lead to three two, it felt like that joint was jumping on Wednesday. What was it like being inside the arena? Yeah, it definitely was. It's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, these playoffs, it's kind of gotten progressively louder and louder. They've allowed more and more people into the building, and obviously now it's at full capacity. And yeah, when when Alex Petrangelo scored that goal late to go up or to to go to cut the deficit to one goal, it was pretty crazy in there and for the last five minutes of the game i don't think anybody in the building sat down it was pretty loud and the golden knights i think they had 15 shot attempts in that last five minutes uh trying their best to come back it's a story that they have kind of gone through quite a bit this season where they fall behind early and have to uh try to storm back at the end Uh, sean and i were talking about this earlier in the show that I think a lot of people figured, here comes the North Division champion, Montreal Canadiens, and they're just going to get smacked around by the heavyweight Vegas Golden Knights. And that certainly hasn't been the way the two games have played out. In fact, I think if you look at the first period of both games, you could argue the Habs were uh, the better team. Is there a feeling that, hey, listen, this is going to be a tougher series than a lot of experts would have predicted going into it? Uh, because I think a few days ago, everyone would have probably said maybe Vegas in six or fewer games or even five games or fewer. Yeah, I mean, I think the Golden Knights are the better team. But at the same time, this is hockey, um, which it's difficult. It's This isn't basketball where the favorite wins every time because a game is decided by so many outcomes. Um, in hockey, a couple bounces here or there can change a game. And Montreal starts certainly. I think, I think the way these two teams play lead to closer games. One... Montreal's a good starting team. Uh, Pete DeBoer mentioned it last night. 
they felt that coming into this series that they were going to be a strong starting team. And the Golden Knights have been a slow starting team, particularly in these playoffs. So you combine that with the fact that Montreal is good defensively. They stay structured. And when they have a lead, it's even easier for them to do that. I think we saw that in those first two rounds. We we talked a lot about their streak of minutes without trailing um, coming into this into this series, and that obviously was broken in game one. But at the same time, Montreal has shown an ability to protect leads, and obviously Carey Price is a big part of that. But also that team, once they get a lead, they don't have to push for offense. They can sit back. They can create that defensive shell around Carey Price, keep the shots to the outside, make his job a little easier. They have big defensemen that make it tough to get inside positioning. Um, I think the Golden Knights have actually done an exceptional job for the first two games of getting traffic in front of Carey Price and giving him problems there because it's not easy against those tough defensemen, especially with Petrie back. So I think that while the Golden Knights, to me, are clearly a better hockey team than Montreal, this isn't going to be an easy series because I think stylistically, everything leads to Montreal being able to keep these games close. And and even if the Golden Knights can dominate possession like they have for some stretches over the first two games, it's not going to necessarily lead to dominant scores. You know, I know you're our resident uh you know betting expert and we do this segment bet on based on bet uh bet mgm but i feel like we need sean to to kind of talk about his betting strategy which invo- involves a coin and flipping it because he, he he talked about this last week that listen we can sit here and analyze heavyweight underdog analytics and so much of this sean right comes down to literally it feels like a coin flip sometimes. It's it. I mean, it's it's not quite a coin flip, but it's it's a lot closer to that than we think. And and yeah, Jesse said it. I mean, there's a, a hockey game is sixty minutes, and it's going to be decided entirely based on, in most cases in the playoffs, three or four or five events, which are the goals that are scored. There, there's just there's nothing else that happens. Ultimately, matters as far as winning and losing. It's just the scoreboard and. When it's basketball and there's, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of scoring events, it, it, it typically the better team wins. In hockey, it doesn't always play out that way, especially when you get the, the crazy bounces going around and, and all the things that can happen there. Uh, you Ideally, you want to convince yourself that over a long enough amount of time, the better team's going to win. And during a season, that's that's usually true. You hope that during a seven-game playoff series, that's enough because we all want to feel like the the best team won the series. Even if it wasn't the best team on paper in the standings, you want to feel like, okay, if it was an upset, it's because that team deserved it. They didn't fluke it. They played better for those seven games. Um, Is that the case? I don't know. I I think some of us have our doubts, but that, uh, you know what? It's more fun to say that it is, so let's, let's go with that. And I'll tell you right now, this series... Five games. It's it's. Uh, I, I I we didn't get a chance to talk about it because it was yesterday. But I saw some odds going around. And Jesse, maybe you can confirm on uh, after game one. So the, the Knights are up one nothing in the series, and the odds for the for Vegas to win that series were just astronomical. I mean, I was seeing eight to one, nine to one, ten to one for 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 Montreal to come back. Uh, that's crazy to me. That's crazy in a, in a series that still has that's it's only one game in. Uh, and I'm assuming those odds look a lot different now that Montreal is even again. Yeah, the the odds have been pretty lopsided, even just for the individual games. Uh, last night's game, the Golden Knights were minus 270, which is a pretty massive favorite for an individual playoff game, especially in a conference final or semifinal, whatever you want to call this. Um, it definitely won't be that 
drastic in Montreal. Um, it'll we'll see a little shift. I'm looking right now. Vegas is minus one seventy, while Montreal's plus one fifty. So it is a a hundred point shift in those in those uh, odds. Do you happen to have the, the for the the series outcome uh, um, in front of you, or because I'd be curious to see that? Because I get I don't I, I do think Vegas is a better team, uh, and I don't think it's fifty fifty. But uh, Montreal is at home for three of the remaining five. Uh, if it's significantly away from that fifty fifty zone, I would uh, I'd raise an eyebrow at that. Well, the Golden Knights, like I said, I think Styles. I mean, you hear it a lot in like UFC or boxing styles make fights. And just because one fighter is better than another fighter is sometimes guys match up well. And I think the Canadians are a team that that the Golden Knights have shown a weakness in that they can control possession. They can control shots. They can have the puck the entire game. And they just, that doesn't always translate to goals for them. And we saw in last year's postseason, especially um, against Vancouver, that game, that, that series went seven games despite Vegas out shooting the Canucks like three to one almost every night. And then Dallas, they outshot Dallas almost two to one every night and lost in five games. And I think the Canadians are kind of built to sort of do the same thing. They don't need the puck a lot. They're not the, like the Avalanche who who have the puck the whole game. And when the Golden Knights take it away from it, it frustrates them. Montreal is perfectly fine with Vegas controlling the puck on the outsides all night long and not getting super, super high danger ch- chances and then they take their their opportunities when they get them so in the series right now the golden knights are still minus 350 uh, to win the Ooh, series boy. canadians plus 240 so if you like montreal um obviously it would have been a better time to bet them before last night's game but still a decent uh price on them because if they can even split in montreal 1-1 i think you're you're feeling probably pretty good if you got plus 240 plus 240 that means you bet a hundred dollars you're getting back your hundred plus two forty that you're that you're going to so I mean that implies, geez, help me do the math, but that uh, that that would imply Vegas winning more than two out of three uh, times in the series. Ah, I'm I'm not much of a betting man, but that's uh, that's pretty enticing in, at at any point this deep into the playoffs uh, I, and is is any of that when you see odds like that because I know people mention this sometimes how much of that do we attribute to the fact that this is Vegas and and maybe Vegas is just driving more action than another team would and and the odds are reflecting that yes that's 100% that that has an influence um, it's not a lot but it influences every number that comes out on the Golden Knights. I talk to sportsbook directors here in Vegas quite a bit. Not as much this year, but especially in their first couple seasons. Because I would kind of... They won't give you actual numbers. Um, it's private company. They don't have to tell us, this is how many dollars we're bet on one team. But what they will do is they'll give me... Um, like comparisons they'll say yeah this was the golden knights games are usually five times the betting the the handle the the amount of money bet than a normal nhl game vegas playoff golden knights playoff games are usually on par with nfl games in terms of money bet which most hockey games do not come close to nfl games in amount of money bet so because just the sheer amount that is being bet on golden knights games and compared to other hockey games, they have to shade a little bit towards the Golden Knights. And it's more for future odds. Like you see, the Golden Knights are always one or two in terms of winning the cup from the very beginning of the year. And that's because the first year they were 500 to one and everyone in this town bet (laughs) the Golden Knights to win. And then the casinos almost lost 
tens of millions of dollars. That ended up not happening thanks to Alex Ovechkin. But I think the casinos, ever since then, they've kind of, the sports books have kind of, they, they hedge their bets. They, they shade in favor of Vegas to try to protect themselves against that a little bit. Um, by the way, the implied odds on this series right now, you're asking like, what, what do, do those yeah, numbers help, mean? Help me with the math here. 77.8% chance of Vegas winning the series, according to the uh, implied odds There's right no now, way. which I agree. That is way There's high. No way. To be honest, I think Dom's, uh, Projection. I think his model might actually have Vegas with a higher than seventy-seven percent chance of winning wow. the series. Um, it was it was eighty-six prior to last night's game. I haven't looked at it since mm-hmm. the Golden Knights lost. Obviously, that makes a big difference, but it was eighty-six uh, percent chance of advancing prior to last night's game. So, I agree with you, Sean. Um, I don't think it's quite a coin toss, but I do agree that this is hockey. Um, it's not like it's not the same as football and basketball and base. I mean, baseball is a little closer to hockey, I think, in terms of some random things happening and changing games. But yeah, it's these, these slam dunk series rarely go the way we expect them to. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I think, you know, with Vegas and and Montreal being an iconic franchise, this might be the most heavily bet on series in NHL history, right? Just in terms of kind of dollars and, uh, you know, coming in. Wrapping up this segment with you, Jesse, quick thought on the other conference final, which is also squared up at a game apiece. Uh, what are we seeing in terms of some lines and trends with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders? Yeah, I just looked up some quick trends. Um, I found it interesting. So they're, they're obviously going on the road now. Uh, Tampa Bay is to up to the Coliseum, which should be fun. We talked about the atmosphere in Vegas. Um, I'm excited to watch that on TV and see how cool that is. Uh, but Tampa Bay has actually been consi- considerably better on the road in these playoffs. They're only four and three at home, but they're five and one on the road. And they had to start both of those first two series on the road, which is kind of weird. I, when I was looking at it, it almost surprised me. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Tampa was the roads team in both of those series. Um, it just seems because they're the, the defending champs and, and because they're so good, you just kind of assume that they're the home team. But that wasn't the case. They went five and one on the road in those two series. So they're probably not too... Uh, unhappy with that split looking at that and in fact their first game on the road of each series so each series starts their first game in the opposing building they're 2-0 and um, whereas the Islanders their first game at home at the Coliseum in each series so far they are 0-2 they have not won the opening game at the Coliseum in either series um, and also both teams this this doesn't really help anyone if they're betting on it but I just found it interesting both teams are 0 and 2 in game threes uh, so far neither neither Tampa or New York Islanders have won a game three in the postseason so um, I think these trends sort of shade towards Tampa Bay in this game they are minus 140 despite being on the road I kind of was expecting I was I was interested in seeing what that line came out as because the Islanders I, I think, for some reason, maybe this is just me from the outside watching it, but I feel like people are giving the the Islanders a lot better chance than than people are Montreal. And I think after watching those first two games, a lot more people are thinking the Islanders can can give Tampa Bay trouble and can actually pull this upset off. Um, whereas Montreal, I think a lot of people are more thinking it was like, oh, that was one game. We'll see. Like, I, it, this series certainly feels more even, and the odds show that Tampa Bay only minus one forty, but still a, a road favorite. Well, listen, Jesse, great to have you back, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to, uh, to connecting with you. Maybe by the time we do this again next week, we'll have our Stanley Cup finalists. Maybe we'll be deep into the, uh, the Final Four. Uh, appreciate this. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you again next Thursday. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. See you, Jesse. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Okay, Sean, as always, we wrap up our show with a little This Week in Hockey History as we take you back and looking at some things that happened on this date or on this week in NHL history. Let's go back to June 16th, 1990, Sean. June 16th, 1990, the NHL draft is held at BC Place in Vancouver. Owen Nolan goes first overall to the Quebec Nordiques. And I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, the top five that year was Owen Nolan one to Vancouver, Peter Nedved two. Uh, sorry, Owen Nolan one to uh, Quebec, Peter Nedved two to Vancouver, Keith Primo three to Detroit. Uh, Mike Ricci went four. Yarimir Yager goes five. Is that the best top five in NHL draft history? And or is there anything even remotely close? One to five: Nolan, Nedved, Primo, Ricci, Yager. You know what? It it depends. First of all, apologies to Scott Sissons for uh, capping it at the top five. He was the <laughs> famously the sixth overall pick, played two NHL games. Uh, you know, it depends how you define it, right? I mean, out of those five guys, there's only one Hall of Famer, and that's Jaeger. There's only one, you know, real generational player, but it's five real solid NHL players. I mean, it, you, you're happy to have any of those guys. So it's it's rare to be able to find a top five where all five guys were slam dunk, very good NHLers. They all played, I'm just looking at it, they, they, they all played over 900 games in their career. So, I mean, I think that would be pretty rare. There's definitely some some other ones that are, are more top heavy. Uh, you know, we, we talked about that, that Brian Lawton draft 
last week. Uh, you know, Elon was kind of a bust, but you got Iserman, Lafontaine, Tom Barrasso. Uh, maybe you say that's uh, that's a higher uh, higher ceiling than this one. But man, it's it's a good one. And I remember this draft well because I you, you're you're probably in the same boat. I was into the uh, collecting the hockey cards back then. Yeah. boy, we thought we were gonna we were we were just banking these rookie cards. And I remember one of the sets had the top four guys uh, in one photo and on one card. And I thought I was uh, man, I'm gonna load up on these, put them in the nice plastic case. This is gonna be worth a lot of money someday. This top four, this is this draft's gonna re- be remembered. For this big top four, and then you know, meanwhile, lurking around in the background, there's Yarmir Yager, the guy who's going to almost uh, uh, shatter every offensive record in the league. You just uh, made me think of a childhood memory that was uh, deep in my brain. Is is you remember getting the Beckett magazine, and then like every month you'd go to check your. Let me check my pro set, Mike Ricci. It's up ten cents. Yeah, and there would be a little arrow. Yeah, like up or You're down. You're looking for that was, arrow. Yeah. It's up two cents. Okay, that's good. That was, I think everyone in our generation, that's when we learned the basics of investing, where you're sitting there going, hey man, Mickey Mantle cards are worth $10,000. So this Ken Griffey Jr., that's the one that we all bought. Oh. And I don't know about you, but I remember my dad at one point going like, you know, there's like 30 million of those things that they printed. There's like six Mickey Mantle cards. What do you think everyone is doing with those cards? Oh, no, no, this is going to be good, dad. You're going to be... You, you, you'll see when I'm laughing my way, I'm retired at 20 because of, of Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, Ken Didn't Griffey Jr. Didn't quite work the, out that way. The, the, he was the first card ever, right, from Upper Deck? Was that the number one I think he was the number was one, junior, yeah. yeah. Junior Griffey. Right. Um, okay, one other question about that 1990 draft, because Marty Brodeur went later in the draft. If you had the redraft right now, who goes wh- number one overall for you? Yaramir Yager or Martin Brodeur? Like, who would you take? First overall, if you had to redraft in 1990. Boy, that's, that is a tough one because, I, I mean, if, if you assume that we're getting the same career out of these guys, I mean, I don't know if Jaeger's in the conversation among the very best wingers of all time. But the thing is, if, if we're doing this draft in 1990 and I'm trying to build a team that's going to win in 90s and, and the 2000s, give me Martin Brodeur. Uh, th- this is it was it was sort of a, a weird era in NHL history where the goaltenders were taking over the sport to a degree that they never really had before. But it was still the elite goalies. It's not like today where I mean, who even knows who, who an elite goalie is going to be in any given week? Back then, I mean, that we were about to enter the era of Patrick Waugh, Dominic Hasek, Martin Brodeur, and uh, if you had one of those three guys, there was a real you, you were going to be contending for the cup. And, and there's a good chance you're going to be winning it. I think I take Brodeur, which is sounds ridiculous to say when there's a guy who nearly got 2,000 points uh, sitting there. But I, I think you got to take the goalie, don't you? Yeah, no, it, but it, it it is a it, it is a great argument because they are uh, first ballot Hall of Famers, and like you said, Yager, one of the greatest wingers of all time, Marty, one of the best uh, goalies of all time. We'll wrap up with another this week in hockey history. We'll take you back to June 17, 1987. June 17th, 1987, and this is right in Sean's wheelhouse. This is the type of thing he loves. The New York Rangers with, uh, I believe, Phil Esposito as their general manager. Crazy Phil. One of my favorite GMs of all time. Yeah. Him and Milbury would probably be near the top of the list for you, right? Like just kind of making uh, bold, splashy deals. Esposito, general manager of the New York Rangers, says, you know what? We need a head coach. And I like... 
Michel Bergeron, head coach of the Quebec Nordiques. Hey, Quebec, we're going to give you our first round pick, fifth overall. You give us your head coach. They engineer the trade. It is a first round pick from the Rangers, fifth overall to Quebec in exchange for head coach Michel Bergeron. And I just want to know why we don't see this anymore. Because I would it, love this. It's, it, it is. It's one of my favorite trades of all time. Now, the, the trade goes down in 87. The Rangers send their 88 first-round pick. So they, we, they don't know what pick it is. This, is. this is kind of Esposito falling into the old Brian Burke trap of going, oh, this pick couldn't end up being that high. Uh, and, and yeah, Michelle Bergeron at the time was considered one of the very best coaches in the league. Had had a lot of success in Quebec. Uh, hadn't won a cup, but had got them at, at least uh, – deep-ish into the playoffs a couple of times. And, and that was back when it was, I mean, that division was supposed to be Montreal and Boston. So the fact that, that they had this scrappy Nordiques team uh, uh, pushing those guys was uh, uh, had, had really uh, moved him up the uh, up the rankings of coaches. And and Phil Esposito, who, I mean, I call, called him Crazy Phil, go, go to his trade page. If you ever see it on, you know, NHL Trade Tracker or one of those sites, he was GM for three years. He was making a trade every week. It, it was we've never seen anything like that. Um, how how much this guy was trading, and apparently he was trading so much that he ran out of players to trade. And he decides there's nothing in the rule book says I can't trade for a coach, and and he works it out with with the Nordiques. As far as why we don't see it anymore, I believe, and I'm not a hundred percent on this. And if somebody knows for sure, they can reach out and let me know. I believe this is no longer allowed. I think there at some point was yeah. a rule that was put in there that said you, you can't have trades involving coaches. And, and in fact, was was put in relatively soon after this. Um, but it's too bad because, I mean, how much fun would that be if you could trade, tra- you know, trade picks for coaches or trade coaches for each other? Uh, it would, uh, you know, it, it would be a lot of fun uh, and add a new, you know, kind of a new element to it, but uh, didn't, uh, not to be, and, and just in case people are wondering, um, how it all worked out. Michelle Bergeron did not have a lot of success in New York. In fact, he only lasted a couple of years before Esposito fired him. As I said, that first round pick that Esposito was probably thinking, this guy's going to get us into the playoffs. It's going to be in the teens, uh, maybe towards the end of the first round. Ends up being fifth overall in that 1988 draft. And, and you talk about drafts that had a good, uh, you know, good top five. That was the draft that started with Mike Medano, Trevor Linden, Jeremy Roenick goes eighth, Rod Brindamore ninth, Team Solani tenth. It was a real good draft. Ended up being the fifth overall pick. Who did the Quebec Nordiques take? Daniel Doré, a winger who played 17 NHL games, scored two goals. Uh, that's what they got with that fifth overall pick. So a, a big time bullet dodge by Phil Esposito and the Rangers. Because imagine if the Nordiques had picked Jeremy Roenick or Team Solani, what kind of uh, conversation we're having about this trade now. Well, I also think... Imagine that early 90s Nordiques team with Sakic and Sundin, and now you're adding Solani to the mix? Like, it's insane. Like, they, yeah. it's a good thing for the hockey world that they whiffed on that one. What I forgot about this deal is, so Michel Bergeron, as you mentioned, he lasts two years with the Rangers, and in his second year, Esposito fires him like a week before the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And But then Bergeron goes back to the Nordiques for one season. Yeah, right they after, bring he's him the back. Head coach. Yeah, and that was and he, right in the middle of that horrible stretch where the Nordiques were. Uh, I, I mean, they had finished dead last in '89. 
they make the coaching change. They bring Michelle Bergeron back and uh, doesn't go great. They finish that season with 31 points, finish dead last again, end up getting that first overall pick from that 1990 draft that we just talked about. And, uh, and, and that's it for, uh, for Michelle Bergeron, and and that's it. He's he's done at that point as a coach. Because the other interesting thing about Michelle Bergeron that that success he had in Quebec, he was in his thirties as a coach. He was younger yeah. than some of his players. So when Phil Esposito goes and gets him, he might reasonably think, if I'm getting a great coach, this guy can be our coach for the next two decades. Instead, it ends up being two years. Has the one year in Quebec, and then ends up uh, that ends up being the end of uh, the end of his coaching career. Yeah, you're right. Michel Bergeron, I always thought he was older. He was like 35 when he was coaching the Nordiques. Yeah, he was a he was a very successful yeah. coach very early on and it just uh uh never never had another chance at it. Now he, if I remember right, had some health problems, I think, during that that season. So that may have contributed to it. He he may have uh, I, I think he had some heart issues. So it may have been a case where he just said, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Uh and then of course also uh, as as anyone in Quebec would know, went on to a, a broadcasting career and was was very popular and occasionally controversial there. So uh, you know it worked out okay for him, but a very interesting coaching career and and I believe the only guy in NHL history who can say that he was a coach who was traded uh, certainly for for that high a price. Yeah, and as we wrap up, like I, I think, like Vancouver and the Rangers basically traded coaches a few years ago. Remember, Tortorella goes to Vancouver, and Alain Vigneault went to the Rangers. Yeah. I always thought it would have been cool if they were just traded for each other, right? Like yeah. that would have been great. Here's my question, uh, and we've talked about this, and you've been, you've, uh, you've said unequivocally, Barry Trotz is the best coach in the NHL, right? And mm-hmm. we saw this a couple years ago. Barry Trotz walked away from the Capitals. Let's say Barry Trotz and the Islanders, for whatever reason, Sean. It's not working out. He needs to move on. The rain, and the Islanders are like, man, we don't want to lose this guy for nothing. What's Barry Trotz worth on the open market today in terms of like draft picks? Because you know the classic. You look at Jack Eichel and you see you know the the rumors of hey the Sabers want a first round pick. They want a a, a ready made player and a prospect. Right? It's the classic uh, trio of things that they want. Mm-hmm. What, what would Barry Trotz be worth on the open market if if you could do this? And trade coaches for assets. He, he he would be worth a lot, I would think. I mean, we we don't know what the market would be because the market doesn't exist and, and has never existed, and, and who knows how teams would value guys. But uh, I, I I think certainly for the right team, uh, a team that felt like they were maybe getting close but didn't you know were missing that piece. Absolutely, I mean, I'd I'd give up a first round pick if I knew I was getting a guy with this kind of track record. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to, to move something like that. And there's, I think a lot of teams that would be a significant upgrade for this guy. Cause like I say, I think he's the very best in the business. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're willing to give up, if, if we've got teams giving up first round picks to rent middle six wingers for a few weeks at the end of the season, uh, boy, what would you give up for a coach that, that's probably going to be behind your bench for the next five years? Maybe a lot more. Yeah, no, it's exactly. It's 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 fun to think about, and it's uh, listen. Always fun to do the show. Uh, have yourself a great weekend, and uh, and we'll get you again next week. Sounds good. Talk to you then. 
Alrighty, so we want to remind some people of uh, some some pretty cool uh, athletic podcasts that have dropped here over the last few days. A brand new VanCast uh, dropped. If you're a Canucks fan, Newell Brown, former longtime assistant coach at the Vancouver Canucks, he joined Patterson and Drance. Check that out. That's the VanCast. Uh, VanCast. Uh, former NHLer Matt Cook was with Mike Russo on the Straight from the Source podcast as well. You can get that at The Athletic. Thanks for joining us for this edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. A reminder, on Friday as well, we got the Prospect Edition uh, with Corey Pronman, Max Boltman. Check that out. It drops on Fridays up to uh, draft time. Thanks for joining us. We'll get you again next week. A reminder, you can email us any question to The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. That's the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. And if you're not a subscriber, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show.